Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and we're continuing our series of coronavirus conversations. It's my privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Karen Kobelski, General Manager of Clinical Surveillance and Compliance for Walters Kluwer Health. Karen, thank you so much for taking the time, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Patty. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Karen. So, just for the benefit of our listeners, can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about the Walters Kluwer's offerings for healthcare and how you help clinicians and educators at a high level? Sure, absolutely. So Walters Kluwer's mission is to to bring the latest evidence-based medicine into the workflow of clinicians and to students and the learning community. So from the beginning of their journey in medicine, whether they're studying nursing or studying to be a doctor, we're providing the textbooks and the clinical education, and we, we take them all the way through that journey as their doctors or nurses and continue to provide that latest evidence-based medicine and then provide electronic workflow solutions to actually make their their lives easier, their jobs easier, more efficient, and actually bring that evidence-based medicine to, you know, to the benefit of, of both the clinicians and the patients in the healthcare system. So that's really the mission of Walters Kluwer Health, and that's the mission behind our, our solutions. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, background. So I know you recently released some new offerings to help clinicians uh, respond and cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about what those offerings are and how you're uh, helping clinicians in the current context? Sure. There's a few different areas that we've been able to jump right in and help with the existing solutions that we already have out in hospitals. I'll give you a specific example. One of our solutions is an infection prevention solution. That's a, it, it does infection surveillance for hospitals. And, you know, right away, we recognize that the best thing that we could do with the COVID-19 situation is to create a dashboard for hospitals so that we could put in one place, you know, so that they could see as a snapshot the status of every patient in the hospital that had been tested or not tested for COVID, where they were, were they in the ICU or not, some of the demographic information, how long they had been there. Their prognosis, their you know the, some of the you know some of the other complications. So you have sort of a one-stop shop for you know the kind of the, the status of, of of COVID-19 in your in your hospital or your health system. So we can aggregate it up to the health system level. So that's really sort of simplified the data collection process for you can imagine how complicated it would be to try to aggregate all that information in a real-time basis. We do that for them. Another thing that we do is we help them sort of automate the process of submitting that information to the National Health System Network. As you know, the CDC is trying to collect that information on a daily basis so they can track the progress of this pandemic. We're able to aggregate all that data for them and provide that to them so they can serve that up very easily to the CDC. So, you know, in that way, we're sort of helping sort of streamline that workflow, make it easier, put that information at their fingertips to make sure that they know they can do that without having to kind of go through the complicated process of trying to build those reports, aggregate that data, and distribute it, you know, on an ongoing basis. So another thing that we've done, we, have, we also have surveillance in the pharmacy. So you can imagine, you know, 
patients have been prescribed things like hydroxychloroquine, they've been prescribed azithromycin, and other, some of these emerging medications that they're trying to treat patients with, well, those can have some adverse effects. So we've written alerts into our pharmacy surveillance system to help bring to the attention of pharmacists someone who might have been prescribed azithromycin, but might also have been prescribed something that's contraindicated for azithromycin, or someone who might have a condition such as a heart arrhythmia or something that would be contraindicated for hydroxychloroquine. So, you know, we're really trying to bring and surface to someone's attention patients that would need intervention that might be overlooked in the kind of the, the, the hubbub and the, you know, the, the constant press of, of the workflow that's going on right now. So that's another, another solution that we've, we've introduced very rapidly and pushed out to our hospital customers who use our solutions. So help me understand the solution just a little bit more. So your solution actually reads the clinical notes in an electronic health record system and surfaces insights that could be indicative of an infection or some other indicator? Is that, is that too simplistic a way of putting it or is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment for it. We, you know, we, are, we are basically in real time as the patient's status changes. So we're, we're bringing in in real time vital signs, lab results, medication orders, and, and we've written a series of algorithms to, you know, so when, when certain conditions are met to alert a physician or clinician to a patient that needs intervention. Uh, it's, you can imagine it's very hard to sometimes tie all those things together. Yeah. Uh, so we do that for you proactively and push that to the attention of the, of the clinician. So they might get a text on their handheld device or they might go to a dashboard and, and say, hey, show me all the patients that have triggered this alert so that I can do something about that. So in terms of the benefits to the clinician, obviously there is benefit to having all of this information aggregated and presented in a consolidated way. So it saves them a lot of effort. Does it also does it also have an impact in terms of an earlier detection of a condition that could potentially become you know, complicated or even fatal? Is there a time saving involved here that could mean a difference between life and death? Is there an aspect of that to this? There is, yes. We actually have one solution that we have with customers right now that's focused on, on sepsis detection, early detection of sepsis. And you can imagine a little different from COVID, but well, COVID and sepsis do go hand in hand, but we can talk about that. But with sepsis detection, every hour counts. You usually have about 11 hours between the onset of sepsis and death. So if you can detect that a patient is decompensating earlier and bring that to the attention of a clinician so they could start treatment faster, you're going to have a better outcome. They may not end up in the ICU. They may have a shorter length of stay. Just overall, better outcome for that patient if we can detect it earlier. And so we are able to detect when the signs and symptoms start to indicate that someone has sepsis, we, can, we, we bring that alert to, to the forefront. We're actually working right now on trying to do the same thing for patients who are in the hospital with COVID who might start to show signs that they're going into respiratory distress. Right. So we've been testing out some alerts. We're not quite ready to release them, but alerts that are detecting those patients who are, who are starting to decompensate in terms of their, resp- you know, their respiratory rates and things like that, that we can push an alert to somebody who may not realize that 15 minutes ago they were fine, but suddenly their, you know, their oxygen levels are dropping, their respiration is faster, and they need intervention earlier. So what we're really trying to do is to bring the attention to the clinician, a patient who they may have overlooked just because they're dealing with so many patients and so much going on and haven't really connected the dots. We connect the dots, you know, with our solution. 
Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting, very interesting. So just want to, want to take a step back. Your CEO, CEO of Walter Sklover's Health, Diana Noel, was recently on my podcast. We spoke just before the national uh, shelter-at-home guidance went into effect. So we are now in early April. I think this was maybe in early March. And we kind of knew what was coming. And she already she mentioned that Walter Sklover already instituted some travel restrictions in anticipation of what was coming. So it was in many ways prescient, I would say. Now, I was just curious, how has the demand environment changed for your company? And can you talk a little bit about how you're adapting to the change in the environment, uh, either in terms of you know changing up your product portfolio? You talked about some of the new offerings, but how are your traditional offerings doing? Can you talk a little bit about the demand climate itself? Sure. I think, as you said, you know, WK saw this to some degree. We saw it coming and we really started preparing to be able to work from home immediately. In fact, the entire worldwide organization has been working from home for about four weeks now. This is the end of our fourth week working remotely. And it's good that we've made that digital transformation as an organization because it was pretty seamless to be able to, you know, be in the office one day and then be working from home and just keep going. But our focus really, you know, you can imagine that, this is not the time to, for someone to try to roll out a new workflow solution or change necessarily, you know, assess software. So our focus has really shifted from, you know, new sales to helping our existing customers with new features, new solutions, as I described before, you know, new reporting, new alerting, new code sets to help them manage the current pandemic and navigate through this as fast as possible. It, you know, to help them you know, kind of get to a new normal, uh, you know, it's important to focus on our existing customers, bring them the resources that we have. And not only our customers, we've actually you know, kind of mobilized across the entire health division to put a lot of resources out there into the public. So on our website, there are, you know, we've taken some of the things that are usually available only under subscription and we've made them publicly accessible you know, such as our up-to-date content for how to treat COVID, the information related to drugs that are used to treat COVID, you know, through our LexiComp product. So we put that all out there, you know, for the public to consume, and we're continuing to try to innovate every day to try to find other things that we can put out there to sort of help the world deal with this with this current crisis. And so really our focus has shifted from from selling, you know, new you know, new units to new customers to really helping our existing customers benefit from what they have and point them in the right directions, but also bring pushing out the new things like I described, you know, new reporting, new yeah. alerting, and new code sets that they can use to help kind of navigate themselves through this this, this difficult time. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, that uh, you had gone through your own digital transformation and you were able to seamlessly transition into a remote mode of operation, if you will. And I, and I wanted to mention, I listened to a podcast with uh, your CEO, global CEO, Nancy McKinstry, on on one of the other podcasts. I think it was HBR IdeaCast, probably. What she talked about this, uh, this transformation that you've gone through as an enterprise. And it seemed like a pretty dramatic change for the organization, but it's, it also sounds to me now like it's placed you in a very good position to seamlessly transition from what you were a month ago to what you are today, which is a virtual corporation. And we are a small company relatively, but we have a global workforce and we have been used to working virtually for years and years. So it was really not a stretch for us to transition and we continue to serve our clients exactly the way you are. So it's very interesting uh, that uh, 
some organizations either saw it coming or they just grew up in a certain way of working virtually. And, you know, they're the ones that uh, are probably seamlessly transitioning into, into this, whereas others are, you know, from what you can read and tell, probably struggling a little bit with that. But I guess the question that I would lead into from that is, what do you see as some of the trends in future as it relates to virtually delivering care, maybe? You know, how does the virtual model translate itself into the healthcare environment? What do, what do you see as some of the long-term trends taking hold today as we go through this crisis? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but uh, I've had more telehealth visits, you know, just normal normal visits I would have with my doctor through telehealth in the last couple of weeks than I've had, you know, ever. And I just think telehealth is here to stay. I know that, you know, a lot of the requirements that were in place for telehealth visits have been waived, but, you know, potentially I think those could be waived in the future. But I also think that we're going to see, you know, all of these new modalities in terms of delivering health insights to patients when you take that and you couple that with this new interoperability rule um, that's passed where the patient record can really be seamlessly exchanged from one vendor to another and so that you can kind of take your record with you as you go, you're going to start to see that, you know, a patient can be treated in a lot of different ways and they will be, they'll have their full health record with them. You know, I can only give you an example of what's happened over the course of this you know, past couple of weeks that I think is going to be the future is that my mother's you know, Apple Watch, you know, indicated that she was in AFib and she, that took her to the hospital and she got a pacemaker put in during this whole thing, like right in the middle of this whole COVID crisis. But, you know, in the future, if Apple has access to, you know, if the provider can actually get the history from that Apple Watch of all the incidents of my mother's heart rate, et cetera, and put that into, you know, and marry that with the rest of the patient record, you're going to have much better, I think, much more efficient treatment, much better treatment, and a much more, you know, you're, you're not going to need to traditionally go into these, you know, into a, into a hospital to see somebody or into a doctor's office to see somebody. You know, the treatment will really be virtual, just like we're working virtually today. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, interoperability and the final rule uh, from the ONC and the CMS. What kind of changes are you making uh, to your products and what kind of changes are you seeing health systems, your clients uh, making as they prepare for the upcoming deadline? In fact, are those deadlines even going to be enforced would be my first question. But assuming that they are, despite mm-hmm. the current uh, situation, what is Walter's Kluwer's doing and uh, what do you see your clients doing in preparation for that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, to your first question about the deadlines, I do think they're considering whether or not to to sort of stick with the initial six month deadline that they have. But I guess we'll see about that. But they knew I think most people knew this has been published for a couple of years. Most people knew that it was coming and hopefully had been sort of preparing for it though. I'm not exactly sure that's the case. So and what I would say is that, you know, one of the one of the products that, that we sell is what we call sort of data normalization solutions and reference data management solutions. And this allows hospitals but also payers and vendors, healthcare vendors, to take all that unstructured data and convert it to the standards that are mandated by that interoperability rule. And so while we've seen hospitals and health systems really be consumed with the COVID crisis, we've actually seen a spike in demand from our payer and our vendor customers because they realize they do have to react to this interoperability rule. And so we've been seeing a lot of payers come to us trying to organize around how can they embrace these data normalization solutions and these reference data management solutions so that they can comply with the interoperability rule. And similarly for vendors, 
you know, they're going to need to be able to create a patient record that complies to those standards, you know, from a lot of unstructured, you know, medical data that they have in the record. So they have to quickly mobilize to do this. And I think what you're going to see is that providers themselves are going to rely on the vendors to do that for them. So whether it's their electronic health record or vendors like us, who will do that and help take their unstructured medical data and turn it into structured, the structured format that's required by interoperability, you know, it's going to be done through your vendor as opposed to necessarily by the providers themselves. Or So the demand is really actually still coming to us because of the interoperability rule from payers and from healthcare vendors. And then those, the, the, the providers themselves will actually look to the vendors to be the way that they solve that problem or meet that requirement. Do you think providers should be doing anything more than relying on their vendors to ensure compliance with interoperability rules? Are there systems that may be homegrown or something else uh, that they need to be preparing for? Is there any burden on them? Uh, as you see well, it? I think that the burden the burden came really through meaningful use, right? So because of meaningful use, they all deployed electronic health records that became the repository of that information. And so they really are going to rely on those health record companies to do to be the, the place where this transformation happens to the standards. Yeah. Now, a lot of health record companies have you know, maybe not been as fast to act on this, but I think they realize that this is a mandate that they have to comply with now. There's very few, I think, at this point in time, providers across the country, health systems, who don't already have an electronic health record. So that was the first stage of this, and now is just taking the electronic health record and making sure that they can now seamlessly exchange the information electronically between vendors and between providers, et cetera. So I think it's less about the provider having to do something themselves and more about relying on their vendors to be the source of that, of that uh, solution for them. Right. Well, Karen, we're coming up to the close of our time here. I just had one other question for you. Just like every other large global organization or every other company, every other business, employees are now working from home and uh, it's created a whole set of, you know, circumstances for them, you know, in terms of how they manage their life and their work and so on in what is virtually confinement, for want of a better word. But also they have to keep themselves safe and, uh, you know, make sure that they don't fall sick and they don't fall prey to the pandemic. How has Walter Kluwer been helping your employees cope with both aspects, you know, having to work from home and having to deal with this whole new paradigm, but also keep themselves safe? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, as I said before, WK acted very quickly to halt travel and to make sure that people could, you know, seamlessly transition from being in the office to working from home. So everybody's been working from home really for the last, you know, four weeks or the last month. So we've been able to, you know, make sure that people can comply with social distancing. But the company has really gone out of its way to communicate and to provide resources and guidance to people working from home, whether it's providing, we've been able to sort of provide free exercise, you know, program, online programs, a whole library of resources so people can work out at home, so to get that, you know, that physical exercise out of the way since they can't go to gyms anymore. They've provided, you know, they've increased kind of our medical coverage to cover the testing and covering the treatment um, if anybody does have to be, you know, treated for COVID or tested for COVID. We've um, they've made uh, telehealth resources available so people do not have to go into the doctors. They can actually be treated through telehealth. 
And we've also really stepped up our communication. So from Nancy McKinstry, our CEO, you know, sending regular video messages to everybody worldwide, you know, even down, you know, you know, from Diana's level at the division level and myself at our business unit level, really trying to, on a regular basis, just be out there and be in touch with every employee. I, in fact, I do something every day to my teams across the country where I just send them a note just to check in, you know, send them something just to say, you know, we're here for you, let, you know, I'm here for you, let me know what you need. And then finally, I think one of the things that we've done is we recognize that there are people who do, there's, there are very few people across all of Walters Kluwer. I think we have, um, you know, thousands of employees worldwide, but there are a few people who still do have to go into the office you know, one of the things we do is we receive lawsuits in service of process, so those have to be served physically. So yeah. for those employees, we've actually increased, you know, their compensation during this time so that they, they don't have to take public transportation. They can go in privately to the office, and then they can get, you know, child care provided for them. So, you know, those are exceptions in terms of most of the workforce is able to work virtually, but for those who are, they are able to get some extra compensation to, to help them during this time. So really, um, I think WK has gone out of its way to, to make a variety of resources and provide a variety of support to its employees to sort of help us navigate our way through this, this unusual time. Yeah, no, that's wonderful to hear. Well, uh, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Stay safe and all the very best to you, your team, and uh, the whole Walter Screwer family. Thank you very much. You too. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.